Welcome to the show. Here's my dad. On this episode of the Infant Adoption Guide podcast, Lori Holden joins us to talk about open adoption and the long view. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Infant Adoption Guide podcast. My name is Tim Elder. I'm a dad of three through infant adoption. This is where we talk all about infant adoption. We give you the inspiration, the resources, the hope to start on that adventure you've been thinking about 24-7, that adoption adventure, building your family through adoption. So thank you for joining me today. we got a special guest on the show, Lori Holden. She's a mom of two through adoption. She's a podcaster, a speaker, an author of one of the best books uh, out there called The Open-Hearted Way to Open Adoption. She also blogs, shares her passion for open adoption, parenting, and whatever else she wants to share over at LavenderLews.com. But before we get into the interview today, I want to share with you a brand new website I've started called FindMyAdoptionAgency.com. And it's really there to help you find or an adoption agency, at the bottom line is, and it's going to help you really just cut through the overwhelm. Uh, of, of finding an, an adoption agency. You can get a free guide of how to find the right adoption agency in four steps. It's a free resource for you. And you can get more information uh, if you sign up there, uh, first name and email address, and I will give you some more information about adoption agencies and just uh, the right way to go about finding one. So findmyadoptionagency.com. Head over there and get started finding your adoption agency. Get started building your family through infant adoption. Okay, let's get into the interview right now with Lori Holden. All right, welcome to the show, Lori. How are you doing today? I am doing very well, thank you, Tim. Thanks for having me. Well, I am very excited to have you. And I know I've, I've read your stuff from afar. Uh, I'm not from afar, but I've read your stuff over the many years that we've been involved in in adoption. And uh, just, I love your blog and I love the, everything that you've done in your book is amazing. And we'll get into that in a minute, but uh, I, I'm just so excited to finally get you on the show and just talk all about adoption because it's, it's uh, near and dear to both of our hearts and we're both passionate about it. So I appreciate you coming on the show and uh Discussing thing, and I first thing I would like to ask you just is why your blog, which is, and maybe you can pronounce it so everybody. I think somebody has told me once it was Lavender Luz. I'm like, no, I don't think it's Luz. <laughs> you are correct, sir. It's LavenderLuz.com. Yeah, which you actually explain on your on your blog. Uh, but can you explain uh, just why your blog is called that, and like why you started it, and what's it all about? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I started blogging you know, before Facebook. So, well, around the time Facebook started small, but um, we, I started blogging in the infertility blogosphere and we had this thing in, in this small group of women. Well, it was probably thousands big, but we would, um, once you had reached your two year blogiversary, you got to pick for yourself something that we called an Appalachian trail name. And it was basically like as you were finding your voice and figuring out what you had to say and who you, what your online identity was. And a lot of time in those days, we kept ourselves secret. There weren't a lot of last names. There weren't a lot of um, selfies or photos of us. It was all very, um, we knew each other only from our writing and our words. Um, but as we figured out who we were, we got to kind of rename ourselves, which is an interesting exercise to figure out, so who am I? What are the words? What are the names that describe um, that I, I would use to describe myself. And so I like Lori. Um, I like the letter L and I like the color purple. <laughs> and um, I've been on a long journey of um, curiosity and 
kind of just trying to follow truth, find truth. And so I, I feel like I'm a light seeker. I'm mm-hmm. always looking to find more light than heat. Mm-hmm. Um, and so light um, in Latin is something like luz. So that's where the luz comes from. So Lori Lavender Luz became my Appalachian Trail name in about 2009 when I had been blogging for two years. Yeah. And you've been blogging there. You continue to blog there. And did that lead into your book or was the book idea, uh, does that, did your book idea come from the blog, I guess is my question. It kind of did because I, um, I realized that while I was writing about living in open adoption, I was, some of what I was figuring out along with the other, um, the other people in my story was how to do this. And as I, as I wrote about some of our, um, our unique stories and episodes, I, the, the response was really, um, affirming. I was like, Oh, how did you do that? Show us, tell us more. um, What would you do with this? And so it did make me see that I had this experience that I could, um, use to maybe help other people. So I did get the idea to, and, and that I could write. And so I had the idea to write a book, but I didn't want it to be a memoir. So when I, um, set out to, um, publish in it with a traditional publisher, I found other people to help me tell their stories of what does and doesn't work in an open adoption. And so that's how it kind of tended to be a little bit more well-rounded, not just one, one case study. It was a whole bunch of people um, telling me, um, shedding light on how to do this thing, which at the time was still fairly new, how to do open adoption. Yeah. Yeah. And just because we're teasing people, if you don't know Lori's book, it's called the open hearted way to open adoption, helping your child grow up whole. And we're going to talk about that in a minute because it's a, it's a really great book and and I want to dive into the book, but I want to first lay a little bit of the background of, of telling people your story, how and when you adopted your children and then even getting into the relationship that you have, the open adoption relationship you have with your kids as birth parents. Yeah, we've been in this now almost 20 years. So we're talking about two decades ago when we had reached, my husband and I had reached the end of our um, infertility journey and we realized that we still wanted to be parents. We didn't necessarily need to be pregnant. And so we um, set out to figure out which avenue in adoption to to take. And then we decided on um, domestic infant adoption. Then we had to kind of figure out which um, agency to go through. And we went through one that starts with an L <laughs> that has to be connected to a church that I grew up in. Um, not that that's why, but... <laughs> um, and then we... Um, we did all the things. Um, we got trained by our agency. I think it was pretty progressive at the time on what open adoption was because it was so different from what I thought I knew about adoption, which is where everybody pretended that a really big thing hadn't happened and everybody just moved on and never looked back. But at that time, 20 years ago, we were knowing that it doesn't always work that way. In fact, it rarely works that way. What we know about trauma now is when you've gone through a childectomy, when you've gone through a switcheroo of parents at birth, and when you've gone through infertility and the grief around that, even if you fill the crib, that's not nothing. Hmm. So the agency started to um, help us understand this thing called a birth mother, um, which was a big boogeyman idea to me before I... um, before I started exploring it a little bit more with the help of our agency. And, um, and, and it, 
I was primed by the time we submitted our profile to be open to um, a birth parent in our lives. It didn't seem as freaky as it had before that training. I, in fact, I found myself in this training thinking, when my kid's 18, I don't want them to suddenly leave me and go look for her. So it kind of started at the beginning of being, I'm going to protect myself by just having her around all the time so she's not this magical, mystical person in our life that um, uh, that is either really bad or really good. Well, let's be real. Real seemed attractive to me. So we things happened for us rather fast the first time. Once we turned in our profile, we got picked within about a week. We met Crystal. Crystal Crystal's story is told in our book. Um, and in fact, Crystal helped me write the book. And um, within about 10 days after that or something, she was in labor. And she invited us to be in the hospital with her, in the hospital room with her. I got to see my daughter be born. And we didn't know it was a daughter at the time. But I was so full of gratitude. It's an awe-inspiring thing to have that experience, especially after all that we had gone through. So um, we kind of bonded over that and some other early experiences. And within, I don't know, six or seven years, things worked out for Crystal to where she was all right in telling us more about the birth father and letting us navigate that instead of her kind of being the protector and the, the gatekeeper. Um, so he has been in our lives. And um, much before he came into our life, though, we adopted our son. Um, he came a couple of years after our daughter came. And um, we did not, he was already born when when we got word of him. So we picked him up one day and met his birth mom. And um, actually I should say expectant mom, because at that time she hadn't signed her papers and she still had all, she was still mom. So um, I wanted to bring the birth father in and um, I figured out a way to do that. And as a matter of fact, he just let me know yesterday that he's coming into, he lives in another state, but he's coming through town this weekend so um we will be seeing him awesome and when he does yeah it is great when we when he does come to town he tends to bring my son's birth mom with him too even though they're, they're not together but they are together when they um when he comes to town and visits my son so my son gets to sit at a table with all of us and yeah. uh yeah it's really cool that is that's amazing yeah i think a lot of people listening to this might go whoa can you, can yeah. you actually do that? Because <laughs> yeah. uh, open adoption, I, mean, I like how you say, you know, uh, you've said, um, I'm passionate about de-freakifying uh, or freak, yeah, freakifying, that's right, open adoption. And uh, and I think that's kind of what you're getting at is the ability to bring them into your home and sit down across the table, have your son sit there and talk to him and have this relationship that you've built over time. Is that what you mean by de-freakifying adop open adoption? Exactly. That's exactly it, Tim. I think, no, so I've done a lot of research since those times when I was just kind of figuring out on my own. And I have read other works and I've talked with um, many other people in what we call the adoption constellation. Um, so other adoptees who are adults and um, women who have placed in various eras. And what I've come to is that what I thought I knew, and I'm using air quotes there, about adoption and what a lot of people know about open 
uh, about adoption is from the closed adoption era. When we think that that's the default setting and we think that that's the way it was always done and it should be done. But in, in fact, that was an anomaly. That was a weird part, part of time in, in the way we did it. And the policies about closing adoptions were all done out of shame and secrecy. Well intended in some ways to protect the child from the stigma of illegitimacy, to protect the mother from the shame of an unwed pregnancy, and maybe even to protect adoptive parents from the shame of infertility. So you can see that there's shame all over with this. But like I said earlier, pretending that something big didn't happen did not end up serving anybody. So we came up with um, adoption 2.0 in the in the 20th in the late 20th century, where well, let's go out and have some contact. Let's do this in a different way. Let's not break up. Um, let's not put walls between families. So we had set up a construct that I call the either or, where only one set of parents could claim and be claimed by that child, and anything that de that um, deviated from that, we always had to elevate one set of parents and. Um, and to eliminate almost the other set of parents. That's what our policies in many states are still doing. So we have shifted with this move towards open adoption into more of a both and. And if you start thinking of that as the default, and if you start thinking that humans are wired for connection, not disconnection, then this idea of open adoption and having that contact doesn't sound quite so freaky. In fact, if anything, when you look at this, with a more critical eye and not just taking it as a given, what is freaky is cutting off connection and um, and eliminating the thinking you can eliminate the influence of a whole genetic line. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. That's it. It it, it does seem more natural <laughs> for us as as human beings. Like you said, we're just more uh, apt to being in more connection with each other. And that's what exactly what open adoption is. And I think if somebody listens to this and maybe doesn't know about openness in adoption, what that means or what it looks like, it's, it's really comes down to just building that relationship uh, with the, and it really starts before the adoption with the expectant mom and hopefully the expectant father too, that you can have that kind of relationship that you start building and then continue it on after the adoption and throughout the whole child's life and you, and and the purpose of it is like you said i mean having that point in time when they're coming over to your house or wherever it is but having that time where they're all sitting around talking to each other face to face and just building that relationship and to be able to ask questions and understand what's happening and what happened and how they can continue to have a relationship going forward that's just uh, kind of open adoption in a in a nutshell but it doesn't have to i think people tend to, at least the people I talk to, tend to have a wrongful perception that open adoption is all one way. You know, it's all, oh, I have to have this relationship where we're always getting together and we're always celebrating birthdays together. And like, no, 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 no. It's it's a relationship you work together on to decide how you want it to look. Yeah, um, there's a lot of misconceptions about what open adoption is, and yeah. I'll address two of them right now. One is that it's co-parenting. And it's not. Right. I mean, there is still just one set of everyday parents who are um, setting the policies and, and having the family norms. And the second myth, I would say, is that it, it, open adoption is not without boundaries. 
any Mm -hmm. healthy relationship has um, well thought out boundaries and boundaries that come from discernment and not from reaction. And that's where um, I think open adoption, having an open adoption can get challenging because when you have this contact with your child's other parents, you're inviting in people and relationships and relationships are messy. But relationships that are heightened by emotions are even, you know, prone to more messiness. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that has to go alongside being open to an open adoption is to be willing to be kind of reflective of your own stuff that's going on, your own big emotions, your own triggers, and deal with them as much as you're dealing with what's going on outside you. Because um, the, the relationships are an interplay of both. So being willing to look inside first before and, and, and tr- instead of having a reaction to something that happens, have a response to it, which just means that you've thought about it a little bit and you've chosen what to do about it instead of like, you know, getting triggered. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. And so let's get into your book a little bit. It's called The Open Hearted Way to Open Adoption. And you can find it anywhere. Um, Amazon's uh, really easy place to find it and we'll have links in the show notes to it so you can find it and i highly recommend you you getting it and i think a lot of agencies the people i've talked to over the years are like that's a book you gotta read you gotta you're just even if you're just thinking about adoption go read that book and you'll get a much better understanding of what open adoption is you'll you'll give Lori a chance to de-freakify it for you so you can uh, I know what you're getting. I know what it, it is before you start uh, on that relationship uh, in building your family through adoption. So the book is uh, awesome. And when did it come out? When was the first time uh, it came out? It came out in hardcover in 2013. Mm-hmm. And that part is out of print. But two years later, it came out in softcover. And the cases, I believe, are, I think there's 20 books to a case. And every once in a while, I can see on Amazon that they, they run out and they're waiting for more. So this is the time of year. Um, with gift gift giving and everything, but um, the the cases do tend to go faster. So, yeah. What what prompted you to write it? I mean, I think you kind of dove into a little bit already that as you started learning more about open adoption and really wanted to de freakify it is is that what prompted you to write it, or what what all went into you writing the book? Yeah, when I would write about certain things, people would write and want to write in and leave comments back in the day when people left a lot of comments on blogs and they would want to know more about how to do this. And I realized that um, there's no book or guide that can tell you what to do in every situation. But what I could do is help people figure out the orientation Hmm. and let the orientation guide you. So a lot of um, writing the book was about documenting that orientation of coming equally from the heart and the head. So making the, making the discernments about how to handle things, but also having compassion and um, empathy for the other people in your constellation. I think a lot of times people think that open adoption means relationship with the birth parents. And that's how it always starts because the child is a baby and doesn't have a whole lot of agency yet. But what I find is that um, as the child grows and you really are committed to this orientation, it really in the end, becomes more and more about creating this open and direct channel with your child and keeping your child at the center and um, creating a lot of trust and showing them how you're figuring things out, even when it's hard. And um, it translates into being able to deal with other tough 
conversations as the child grows up. If you can figure out how to talk about adoption-related issues and those big emotions that the child has and that you have and that the birth parents have, you're going to be better equipped to talk about other things that come out come up in parenting, um, especially in the teen years. And you want to have that closeness and intimacy with your child. Yeah, absolutely. So your kids are teenagers now? Yes, late teenagers. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're getting close to 20 on one and close to 18 on the other. Awesome. So you've you've seen a lot and uh, and dealt with a lot over the years, I'm sure. And I love one of the highlights of your site. Uh, it, as one of your videos, uh, I think it's called The Day I Became a Real Mom. And you said you earned your mom badge in the story. And it's a great video. I think everybody should go watch the video. It's only like three minutes long, something like that. Uh, where you're uh, just giving a, a little speech, a little story in front of a, a group of people. And the video, uh, I, I just love how you say you earned your mom badge. And uh, without giving too much away what's in the video, I just wanted to ask you, like, what's the biggest lesson you've learned now as a mom of two kids through adoption? They're already in their late teens. And what's the biggest lesson? Can you narrow it down to one big lesson that you've learned uh, the, as being a mom to those two kids? That is such a great question. I think uh, I'm going to borrow um, what somebody just told me in an interview that I did with them, that it is um, take care of your own stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And that goes back to kind of being developing a practice of looking within. When you feel a big emotion, instead of looking at the other person and change them and solve them, look inside first to see Wow, why am I? Why is the heat rising? Why am I doing that? Because that will help you turn a a reaction into a response. Not only if it's <laughs> with birth parents, but if it's with your own kid. So, yeah. in, it, for example, the first time your child says, "You're not my real mom. You can't make me clean my room," that could make the heat rise, and you could go into this horrible reaction that actually, you know, takes away the trust that your child has in you, makes you off your game, turns you into a six-year-old instead of the parent of a six-year-old. <laughs> but if you take that moment to um, reflect and just say, whoo, that, I got something coming up. Hold on a second. And then you, you know, you, you treat it for what it is. Oh, I was feeling triggered there. That when you, you know, you touched one of my soft spots that I'm not your real mom. Mm -hmm. So that's something I'm going to deal with with my fit therapist and I'm not going to get into it with my six-year-old. Yeah, so later you can come back and have more of a conversation with them rather than a reaction to them. Exactly, and it can be um, a, a, an intimacy-building moment. Like, mm -hmm. oh, wow, I, I heard you say the term real mom. I wonder, are, are you thinking about your birth mom today? Um, maybe we should give her a call. And maybe it's really just about not wanting to clean the room. But the point is, if the kid knows <laughs> that you've got that button, their kid's going to bang on that button. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and I'm sure that's come up a lot or various times uh, between the two kids over the years as they just develop and have different yeah. emotions and start going through adolescence and all that. Those those times when it really gets interesting. <laughs> yeah, and I and I, I mean it's no secret that um, even though I have this practice, I'm not I'm not excellent at it. It still comes up a lot with mm -hmm. my kids, and bigger kids can really they are really good at knowing where your buttons are and hitting them. <laughs> Um, and I fall prey to it a lot and it never goes well. It never goes as well as if I just take a moment to breathe and say, what is this really? <laughs> yeah. Do both of your children have relationships then with their birth parents? 
Yeah, at this point, they are both. Um, I, I've my husband and I have turned over the reins to them over the years, mm -hmm. um, and so they are managing their own relationships, and um, they're doing it in a health healthy way. So, yeah, they're in they're in contact um, with to the degree that they that works for them. When, at what point did you let the reins go a little bit, or or start to let the reins go? Is there a particular age, or you just kind of felt like the time is right? It's a very gradual thing, um, and I literally, I, I, or I imagine literally, like being on Little House on the Prairie with Pa in the, <laughs> in the wagon and holding the reins and gradually kind of teaching your kid over a couple of years. Now, it's eventually you're going to be driving this wagon. <laughs> Let me show you how it's done. And um, so it's a lot of... Um, narrating what's going on inside me like well you know the last visit this happened and so let's talk about this how do we feel about the next visit so not keeping it all inside me and i come up with the decisions but also showing them how we're thinking about it and letting them also think about it so it's a very gradual i would say you know i think there's a developmental stage that starts at six or seven um, maybe seven or eight uh, in identity building where um, some of the bigger emotions start to hit the child about what it truly means to be adopted. The other, you know, at first it's all good because it's the story that adoptive parents tell and it's a happy story. But at some point they, they start to realize, oh, for me to be here, I had to, um, I had to be unchosen somewhere else. Mm. So they start to incorporate that and it can be big. It can be big emotions. It can, visits can be harder. Um, but I think this will tie into another piece of advice. Nothing is too big and nothing, it, things don't get, things don't stay in a static for a long time. So even if there is a hard visit, even if there is a period of emotion, big emotions for the child, things do have a way of resolving eventually. And all we can, the best we can do is to um, be mindful alongside, walk alongside them and be that trusted person, that safe and trusted person for them. Absolutely. That's great stuff. And, and we, we're titling this interview, Open Adoption in the Long View with, with Lori. And, and the reason we're doing that is, is, well, a couple different reasons, but one is the long view is adoption doesn't end when you're the child's placed with you or when the, the finalization happens adoption the long view is carrying it through and 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 helping like you just said walking along your child and cultivating the relationship or helping cultivate the relationship with their birth parents if they can or if that's something that can be done but what would you suggest somebody do if they at least, well, maybe they've just adopted or they've adopted a little while ago and there's no relationship, like they don't feel like there's ever going to be a relationship. Would, what advice would you give to somebody that's in that situation? Like, I don't know if I'm ever going to have an open adoption relationship because they don't want it. Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, let me go back to something you just said and then I'm come back to this one. Um, you, you hit it on the head when you said that um, when we listen to adult adoptees, what they say is that Adoptive parents tend to think of adoption as an event, a one-time event. We did this, and then it was over. But what adoptees feel is that it's a lifelong journey for them. And so keeping that in mind, um, I think, is part of being that safe, trusted person that walks alongside them on their journey. So 
So um, yeah. remind me what your other question was. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just wanted to know if somebody was listening to this and they didn't feel like they were going to get an open adoption or even yeah. a chance in an open adoption relationship with yeah. their, their kids as birth parents. You know, what would you Yeah, tell there's them? a lot of reasons why that could be. Um, one, one would be like if the birth parents just aren't available or can't be found and you, you know, or if it's like an international adoption or, or that they're not safe, like a foster adoption or any of those in an infant adoption. Um, and what I talk about there is to have an open door adoption. Keep talking to your child about um, anything that they may be attuning to them and talking, bringing up adoption once in a while so that if they want to have a conversation about it, they know that you are open to it. Be there for them. Work on your own stuff so that they don't have to stumble around your triggers while they're figuring out their own things. So that's an open door adoption. Um, if it's that they're... Um, actually truly dangerous people or they let you down and, you know, they don't show up for um, visits or something like that. Well, one of the things that you can do in that, that sense is take, take, take away the adoption charge. So to reframe that, you would say, how would I deal with any other person in our extended family if they were doing this behavior? Mm -hmm. And then you can make your policy based on, um, you separate the policy from your emotions about not being the only parents. So if you wouldn't let somebody who's high, your brother-in-law who's high near your kid, then you wouldn't let, you know, the birth parent who's high. And I'm not by any means saying that all birth parents get high, just using that as an example. But I think the biggest thing that I'd like to say is um, if, if, if people would Google open adoption grid, I think they would see that um, open adoption is... We think it's about contact, but really that's the least important ingredient. ingredient. Um, I've, I've turned the, um, the spectrum of how much contact you have from all to none into a grid by adding another dimension of like a vertical axis on that. And that is your degree of openness. So no matter what is going on with birth parents, you can still have a very intentional clear channel connection with your child even if they're even if birth parents aren't available to you mm. if they opt out if they're not safe if they're not alive if they're not known all of those reasons you can still cultivate openness with your child and that's what we should do anyway yeah that's great i so few people i think talk about that i think you're right it, open adoption it tends to get totally steered into what kind of contact? What's the amount of contact? What's the relationship look like? How are you going to cultivate the relationship with the birth parents? But that's, I agree with you 100%. That's a part of it, not the biggest part of it. I love what you said right there. I think everybody should to go back and listen to that again because uh, it's very important uh, to you yeah, and to we, your child. We can only control half of the contact, whether we show up or not. And mm -hmm. so... I, I do hear a lot of adoptive parents feeling very defeated and like they failed if, um, if birth parents, for whatever reason, are not around. And it's like you, you, you do what you can control and, you know, show up, if, have that open door adoption, have, leave the porch light on for them if and when they can come back in a safe way. Mm. Um, and Ashley Mitchell will talk, talks about this a little bit. She's the birth mom from um, Big Tough Girl. She's only on Instagram. Um, how her son's adoptive parents kept the porch light on for her 
during her years of grieving, when she wasn't healthy, she wasn't present, she couldn't be there. Mm. But when she did get herself together and showed up, showed back up, um, the, the adoptive parents had already kept that, um, that, that connection with their son so that he, it wasn't starting from scratch. There was, they were able to leap back into a loving and trusting relationship. Yeah, I love that. Keep the porch light on. That's a great way to think about it yeah. and look into it. And you mentioned uh, a, a birth mom there that you're, and maybe you can discuss this further because we're, we're, I want to get into the podcast that you've started. It's called Adoption the Long View. And there we go. Uh, about, uh, well, just explain what the podcast is about and maybe even explain what you were just talking about. One of your guests that was uh, recently on the show and what listeners can expect to hear from your podcast. Yeah, so um, I started this, uh, I think the first episode came out in the late summer, and the second episode is with Ash- Ashley Mitchell, and it came out, I think, maybe September 1st or something like that. But all of the, I, I think five episodes are out right now. I've got two more coming out in National Adoption Month in November. And it really is about, so, so the book lays the orientation, and it, it takes people from a, the closed adoption era, which is... Um, the premise is that adoption creates a split in a person created at the moment of adoption where they have the biology of one set of parents and the biography of another set of parents. And what can we do to help them heal that split? So then the podcast has come out of living this more and more years and hearing other voices of people who have something really valuable to say and how to get through the tough times and how to break through some of the myths. So um, I've been talking with um Women who have placed, I talked with um, adult adoptees. Um, I've talked with an adoption researcher. She actually did a 15-year ongoing longitudinal study on people living in open adoption. And so what her research tells us about open adoption. So I've had so much fun exploring this with people and you know, bringing light rather than heat in uh, the effort to help people understand what this is about the long view. How do you get from filling the crib to raising a healthy, fully functional adult who um, has all their pieces and feels secure in their identity. And um, you feel secure in all that you've done along the way, even if you misstep sometimes like I have. (laughs) Yeah, and we all do. But I think that's what I love about the podcast. And and it really does continue on your your book, and maybe you got another book in you now called "The Adoption: The Long View." <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, I mean, it's a great perspective and a great topic because we all need to understand and learn and manage and figure out how to do this adoption thing as we continue as our kids keep getting older and we're getting to the point where we do need to handle all these things that come up as they age. And especially if you have an open relationship with their birth parents and and they do, and you start to hold, like you said, let the reins go and let them manage the relationship as they get older, because you're not going to be around forever. And they are going to need to take that relationship over and, and go with it. So I think I love the the whole idea of the long view. And uh, so what do you have coming up on your podcast? You said you have some, do you want to talk about the titles that you've got coming up next? Yeah. Um, so we're coming up on National Adoption Awareness Month. And so what I have two um, episodes a month coming out. And so for 
um, early November, I'm interviewing Sarah Easterly. She's an adult adoptee. And she wrote a post on my blog, um, a guest post, um, a couple months ago about real mom. Hmm. What it meant when she yelled at her mom, I want to go find my real mom. And there are some amazing nuggets of wisdom in there. So we fleshed that out a little bit more in the podcast episode. And just this week, she submitted another guest post to me, which is um, kind of going viral in Facebook groups because it's called the eight, eight dynamics you need to consider before sharing your adoption story. And so she tells us from her viewpoint and a lot and other adoptees, um, some of the things that adoptive parents don't think about when we're sharing their story based on um, some of the, some of the, the extra things that an adoptee has to go through in building their identity and, mm -hmm. and how it ties in with trust and honoring their story. And so and again, it's mostly about discerning. So she's coming up in early November, Sarah Easterly. And then in um, mid, mid November, um, I'm going to have a birth mom on. She was in a kinship adoption. And if you can imagine this, it was supposed to be an open adoption, but it turned out not to be an open adoption. She was, she's at family gatherings, and her son does not know that he's biracial, does not know that he that she's his birth mom. And so mm. she's going to talk to us about how that happened and um, how it how she finally spoke up. So that's an amazing story. Mm, that she yeah, got. that sounds good. Awesome. Yeah, and so then in December, I'll, I'll give you the lineup in December. Sure, yeah, please. Uh, we're going to be talking with Rebecca Valley, and she has, has been um, championing a new house bill that works for everybody in adoption called House Resolution 3690. She also started the Family, Fam Family to Family Support Network, where she trains hospital labor and delivery staff on what it's like for them to hold a wedding and a funeral in the same room for placements where... Um, where the adoptive parents are there. Hmm. Um, and then at the in mid-December, I'll be talking with Dr. Abby Goldberg, who is the one who has done that research, that 15-year <clears throat> longitudinal research hmm. on um, open families living in open adoption. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Good stuff coming up. Wow. Yeah, you can tell I'm a little excited about it. And then the five <laughs> episodes that are out are also, each one of them is, is my favorite. So I just would encourage people to, um, to tune in to whatever resonates for them. Yeah, and where can they find the podcasts? Uh, all the normal podcast locations, uh, their favorite places yeah, to find them? My, my sponsor is adopting.com. So um, you, it's pretty prominent on their website. And then from there, or, or you can go to wherever you get your podcast. I think we're working on getting it on Spotify, but there's been a glitch. Um, but yeah, that's, that's where people can subscribe and um, pick the episodes they want to listen, what order they want to listen to the episodes in. <laughs> Yeah, it's becoming easier and easier to listen to podcasts now uh, through you know the Apple Podcast and Google and Amazon even has jumped in now. So it's yeah. really easier than ever to to listen to podcasts. And so I highly uh, recommend you you checking out that. It's called the Ado Adoption: The Long View with Lori Holden, and and she check out her book too. Um, uh, I can't say enough about it. The Open Hearted Way to Open Adoption. We'll have the links all in the show notes here so you don't have to try to frantically write down all these things. Uh, just You can go to infantadoptionguide.com forward slash 78 and we'll have all the links there. Um, but I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm so honored to finally get you on the show and talk to you and uh, just 
really share ideas and share thoughts about open adoption and and what it's like uh, to be a parent uh, to a couple of kids. I know we've got our three of our own and we're working through. We're not at the uh, late teenage years yet, but we're getting there. It's coming up fast. <laughs> Do you have any hair left? <laughs> no, it's been <laughs> that's been long gone. <laughs> Mine too. No, just kidding. (laughs) I really appreciate being on your podcast too, Tim. It's something that um, I've listened to many of your episodes and you've got some good stuff. Well, thank you very much. Yes, I appreciate that. And uh, uh, you also go to her her blog. Sorry, I almost forgot about that again. I want to mention your blog. It's lavenderluz.com. So lavenderluz.com. And uh, thank you for saying it so well. Yeah, yeah, yep. It's a great blog. It's been around a long time. There's a lot of good stuff there. Uh, to if you're if you're a reader, that's a great place to find it and uh, and get her her book as well. So thank you so much for coming on the show today, Lori. I really appreciate it. It's great. Been great talking to you. Thank you, Tim. All right, great interview with Lori today, talking about the long view of adoption, which I just love the topic because it really does start your adoption journey does not end uh, when you, the child's placed with you. It really begins. And uh, after having three kids uh, through adoption, I know that personally. So I hope you uh, got a lot out of this interview. I know I did. I hope you go over to her blog and get her book called The Open-Hearted Way to Open Adoption and follow her on her new podcast called Adoption, The Long View. All the links uh, that we talked about today will be in the show notes at infantadoptionguide.com forward slash 78. And I just thank you so much for joining me uh, on this show uh, week after week and uh, episode after episode. If you need some help, though, and some support in your journey, I invite you to go over to our Facebook group. We have a couple thousand people there right now, and it's building all the time. And it's free to get in. I'm the admin, and I'll just ask you a few questions to allow you in so we don't get a bunch of trolls, but we get people that are really there to help support each other. And you just go to infantadoptionguide.com. And at the top of the page, there's a link called Facebook Group. Click on that. It'll head over there and you can uh, ask to get in and I will let you in. And I appreciate you being a part of the Infant Adoption Guide community. So thanks for listening. And until next time, you are in my prayers as you go on the journey to build your family through infant adoption. God bless. Thanks for listening to my dad.